You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 72, Integrating More Plant Foods into Your Diet with Dr. Pamela Ferguson. Hey, I'm your host, Dr. Yami. I'm a board-certified pediatrician, certified health and wellness coach, author, and speaker. I'm also a passionate promoter of the power of diet and lifestyle in preventing and reversing chronic disease and bringing joy and longevity into our lives. This podcast is focused on plant-based nutrition, habit formation, motivation, and mindset so that you can have the tools to live the best life possible. Are you ready to get started? Let's do this. of disease has nutrition as a contributing, a significant contributing factor. Happy Sunday, veggie lovers. Welcome back to Veggie Doctor Radio. I am so happy to be with you today. Thank you for tuning in again to listen to this really fun episode with Dr. Pamela. I've met Dr. Pamela in person and she is just so kind and so knowledgeable and it was such a treat to talk with her for an hour. And I think that you're gonna get a lot out of this podcast, especially if you're new to this and you want to know how the heck do I eat more whole plant foods? She has a great approach and there's a lot of things that we talk about that will help even those seasoned plant-based eaters out there, you can get from it. But before I get to introducing Dr. Pamela, I want to just remind you that my book is out this month. It will begin shipping November the 19th, and I'm so excited, finally. I can't wait for you to read it. If you haven't already pre-ordered my book, I would be so honored if you pre-ordered it. And you can do that by going to my website, dryami.com, and I have information there on how you can pre-order. You can also, if you haven't already, sign up for my weekly newsletter where I will send you that week's podcast and any news that I have for you to share with you. Go to dryami.com forward slash sign up, S-I-G-N-U-P, or you can text the word fiber, F-I-B-E-R, to 66866. Text the word FIBER, F-I-B-E-R, to 66866. My book is called A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy. And in this podcast episode, speaking with Dr. Pamela, there's so many things that she said that I talk about in the book. And so we definitely have some agreement in how and what to feed kids. So that was really a treat. I want to remind you that the information on this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. It's not meant to replace careful evaluation and treatment by your own healthcare provider. So if you have concern about you or your child's eating or nutrition or any health concerns, please consult your medical provider. Okay, so let's talk about Dr. Pamela. Dr. Pamela is a registered dietitian with a PhD in nutrition currently in private practice. She has almost 20 years of experience working in clinical and public health nutrition, including as a nutrition consultant for UNICEF and the World Food Program. 
She has authored peer-reviewed journal publications, speaks at nutrition conferences internationally, and is currently working on a book chapter about plant-based nutrition. Pamela has completed marathons and ultra marathons and a self-styled Iron Man, and she lives in Nelson, British Columbia, Canada, with her family. You can find Pamela's practical tips on nutrition and easy family meals on her Instagram account, which is at drpamela.rd. And her website is pamelaferguson.com. So Pamela spelled traditionally P-A-M-E-L-A, but the Ferguson is F-E-R-G-U-S-S-O-N. So that's PamelaFerguson.com. All right, guys, I think you guys are going to love this episode. So let's just get started and dive right in. All right, everybody. I am so pleased to have today my friend and colleague, Dr. Pamela Ferguson on Veggie Doctor Radio. Welcome, Pamela. Oh, thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm thrilled to be here. All right. Well, I have several questions for you, but the first and most important question I have for you is, will you cook for me? <laughs> I would love to cook for you. That sounds wonderful. Yes. I just love your Instagram account. I tell people all the time that after dinner, I try not to look at Instagram. <laughs> there's way too many pictures of delicious, beautiful food. And even though I'm satisfied for my meal, I always get hungry, but yours are just so, so pretty. So thank you for posting all the beautiful pictures and recipes to inspire us to eat more beautiful food. So I'd like to know more about your plant-based journey. How did you end up where you are now? Sure. Well, you know, I first went vegetarian when I was in university many years ago. And um, back then, you know, it really was just kind of called being vegetarian. There wasn't kind of the plant-based movement wasn't really happening. Um, people didn't really talk about veganism very much. I think I knew one vegan at that time. And I think, um, you know, we were not as aware of the um, health consequences of eating dairy or eggs or the consequences for the animals or the planet. And, um, you know, I thought, yeah, sure, I would like to be a vegetarian. Um, I read Diet for a Small Planet, and that was very influential to me in terms of the environmental impact of my diet, but also in terms of thinking of feeding the world and the fact that um, consuming plants directly is so much more efficient for humans to do instead of trying to get our calories and our protein and our nutrients met um, through eating animals. So that really did have an influence on me. But, you know, I didn't become vegan until about six years ago. Um, and actually, you know, I had a few different influences on me. I think I've watched Forks Over Knives. My daughter actually uh, inspired me to go vegan after watching an episode of Arthur, you know, the children's television show, Arthur, where I think a few of the characters had decided to go vegetarian. Um, a few things kind of came together. And I thought, you know, I think I'm going to... Um, go completely vegan for a month 
and see what happens, see how I feel. Um, and I did. Uh, and, you know, I felt great. And it was way easier than I expected to be. And actually, I want to correct myself on something I just said there. I should say I decided to go completely plant-based for a month because it wasn't until a little bit later on, um, a few months later, that I started to really investigate this more and understood um, the deeper implications behind my decision um, and decided that I really didn't want to just eat a plant-based diet. I wanted to be vegan for the planet, vegan for my health, but also for the animals. And that meant eliminating animal products completely from my clothing and my cosmetics, all that kind of thing, not just from my diet. Wow. So it's definitely been an evolution for you that spanned many, many years. Absolutely. So whenever you began, you had more of an environmental framework in mind about how you can lessen the burden on the planet. You seemed to be good with that for many years. And then you started to kind of have some thoughts of like, okay, well, how can I take this a step further? Tell me a little bit more about the fear or maybe some of the anxiety that you felt about giving up the dairy and the egg? What kind of, what are some of the thoughts you had about that? It was all about pizza for me, I have to say. <laughs> hey, at least you're honest. <laughs> yes. Uh, I wasn't too worried about giving up dairy milk. Um, I didn't drink a, mil a lot of milk um, as an adult, really. Um, and I've, I've always enjoyed um, soy milk and almond milk and all of the different plant-based milks. I already consumed those before going vegan. Um, and giving up eggs was no big deal to me. Um, you know, I easily was able to bake without using eggs. In fact, I think my, I bake all the time. And I think my baking is better as a vegan baker than it was when I used eggs. And I didn't care that much. I love tofu scramble. It was easy for me to give up eggs. But when I thought about giving cheese up, particularly pizza, and I love all kinds of pizza, um, I was thinking, I just can't do this. So I did for a little while experiment with the idea of vegetarian Fridays. And that was before I completely um, committed to being vegan. I was like, okay, on Friday, I'm going to allow myself to have dairy. Um, and for the first couple of weeks, I was like, really looking forward to Friday, like when's Friday, so I can have some cheese, or I can have some pizza. And then I realized I was like, oh, it's Friday. I should have some cheese, you know? And then a couple of weeks later, I realized, oh, I had gone a few weeks and not even remembered anymore that it was Friday and that I could have dairy. And I thought, okay, uh, it's done. I can just walk away from dairy now. So I think that um, I uh, was able to, without putting too much pressure on myself, to release myself from that really is kind of an addiction to cheese and to dairy and you know was able to just move forward and now even just in that period of time um in the last six years the amount of amazing vegan cheese that exists is it's so much better than it used to be and uh you can get great vegan pizza um, as well. So it's really not that hard to, to give that up. But I would encourage you, don't be too hard on yourself. Maybe wean yourself off gently and then take the plunge of completely giving up. 
Yeah, but that's a really common barrier for a lot of people is the cheese that comes up as a pediatrician when I talk to families about doing dairy-free trials for their kids, especially when I see particular health problems that I feel might be linked to dairy. And I say, Let, let's give it a try for 30 days, see if it makes a difference in this health condition. Cheese always comes up, but the yeah. cheese, but the cheese. Yeah. And I have to say, I was never a cheese person. So I think mm-hmm. I was lucky in that. I just, I don't like sour things and some cheeses mm. are like really sour and fermented and stuff. So right. I think I have an advantage in that, but man, I love to guzzle some milk and anything creamy with lots of high fat dairy. And of course, ice cream. Those were some, right. of but I think your brain really does have this attachment. Whenever mm-hmm. you have a lot of dairy, you start thinking like, what would life be without it? But there's right. people that have been able to survive. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so. I love that idea also of just challenging someone, Hey, just try it for 30 days and see how you feel we can do anything for 30 days, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think people really get surprised um, when they do stop having something for 30 days, how they actually really don't need it. They think they're addicted to it. They think they really need it, but actually it's not as hard to give up. And sometimes if people think, okay, I have to give this up for the rest of my life, I can never have it again. That seems daunting at first, but I encourage people to take things in steps, you know? Okay, try for 30 days or maybe just have it once a week for a while. And then, you know, you might find after a while, Hey, I I really don't need this anymore. I also want to say lucky for you about being forced to give up dairy ice cream because it's so easy to find such great vegan ice cream. I mean, vegan cheese is good, but vegan ice cream is amazing. Yeah. No, there's no, there, there's no deprivation. No, in fact, not I feel at all. Like I live in a small town. I think you live in a smaller town too, right? Very you, small. I, we're 10,000 people. Yeah. Oh, that's really small. So yeah. my area, like with the larger area is about a hundred, 125, mm-hmm. but there's, too many choices, even in the smaller right. town. So I, I have to, you know, make sure that I'm mindful about my purchasing because right. there's already so many options, even in a smaller town. Yes. So tell me a little bit about why you became a dietitian and why you're interested in nutrition. When I first went to university, I did think I might want to want to go to medical school to become a physician. Uh, And I went to a lecture when I was in my undergraduate degree about public health nutrition. And they were talking about nutrition and talking about how um, 80% of disease has nutrition as a contributing, a significant contributing factor. Um, And I just thought, well, if we can improve nutrition, think about how much chronic disease we can have an impact on improving. And I thought, why? Do I want to wait until disease has developed when I could work with people to optimize their health health and try to help them to prevent disease from occurring? So uh, that's what inspired me to start down the path of studying nutrition and ultimately becoming a dietitian. Wow, that's so great. And now you've been practicing for over 15 years as a dietitian, is that right? Yeah, I think it's starting to close in on 20 years now. Um, I qualified in 2001, so getting pretty close to 20 now. And I just have had such a wonderful career in nutrition, and I really 
um, am so grateful for the opportunities I've had in clinical practice, in research, in teaching, community, public health. Um, I've really had a varied career and I've worked in multiple countries and nutrition has been such a wonderful source of interest to me. I'm just continuing to be fascinated by nutrition throughout my life. Wow. Well, I'm really grateful that you are. And what a great broad foundation that you have. So I'd love to know, do you have a predominant nutrition philosophy that you encompass whenever you're approaching your work and your clients? Yes. I like to go for the easy wins as much as possible. Um, I am not a person who tends to be very, very detail oriented. So I like to look, okay, let's look at this um, client and let's look, what are the kind of three things that they can go home and do that are going to give them the biggest improvements? And often that is something directly related to nutrition, um, but sometimes it will be something that is not directly related to nutrition. It might, I might notice that this person has um, a big issue with sleep where they're really lacking in sleep. They have a very short um, sleep or a very interrupted sleep. And that's perhaps contributing to nutrition issues where they are binge eating, they're constantly hungry, they don't have satiety, um, they're looking for sugar to, for an energy rush. Um, and it's related to their sleep, maybe leading them to drink caffeine in the afternoon and therefore not sleeping. Um, this cycle. And so sometimes I do work outside of directly advising um, nutrition and try to look more holistically at things like sleep or at activity, um, making some recommendations for people there so that they will be able to have the right foundation to um, create a good diet and nutrition habit. Well, you're essentially a lifestyle medicine dietitian. Then I love <laughs> I love your approach. That is so important. I think that sometimes we hone in on these details and very specific, even just like specific nutrients, and think that mm -hmm. that's going to be the key to everything. But we really mm -hmm. do have to look at things holistically, and know that some of our other lifestyle behaviors and habits so powerfully influence our appetite our Absolutely. behaviors and our metabolism. So one of the studies I saw is that with sleep deprivation, not only do you seek more food, you tend to seek food that is higher in fat and higher in, in refined sugars. Yes, absolutely. And your metabolism actually slows down. So at the end of the day, you have a net 300 plus calories on the days that you're sleep deprived. So there's right. different things that influence that, but somebody might be trying their hardest to just like mm -hmm. have this healthy diet and do all mm -hmm. this stuff. And then by the afternoon, they're just like, rah, 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 you know, yes. the Twinkies or whatever. And they're like, why sure. do I keep doing that? And part yeah. of it could be because they are chronically sleep deprived. So that is so exactly. important that you address that. Absolutely. And I'm so glad we're on the same page with that. Obviously, there are times where someone comes maybe with an iron deficiency or something, and we do need to get specific on a nutrient. But a lot of times there are opportunities to look holistically at someone's life and find uh, ways to find big wins for them to make big shifts in their life. That's great. So you work with all kinds of clients, right? Not just people who are plant-based. Exactly. And my last podcast episode, I talked about 
why we should think about increasing more whole plant foods in our lives. And people definitely are coming at different stages in their you know, diet and nutrition history and at different levels. So if you have a client that is wanting to integrate more whole plant foods into their diet and they're starting from scratch, they're at the mm -hmm. standard American or standard Canadian diet, mm -hmm. how do you counsel them about integrating more whole plant foods into their diets? I always like to give people a few different options and I'll say at the start, like, I'm not attached to any one of these options and anything that we don't like here, we can just toss out. So don't feel pressured or feel anxiety that you need to accept, you know, one particular or all of these things that I'm saying, but let's try and find some common ground here that you feel most comfortable with. So often I will say, let's just start with breakfast um, as one option, start with breakfast, then maybe add some lunches in. Breakfast is a really easy one. We can try cereal, toast with peanut butter and banana, um, oatmeal, um, you know, avocado toast, chia pudding, overnight oats. There are just so many wonderful plant-based breakfasts. Tofu scramble if people like a savory breakfast. And uh, I say, let's just start with breakfast and, you know, we'll get a foundation. You get up in the morning and have a plant-based breakfast. And then maybe let's look at lunches. You know, what are you bringing in with you uh, to work um, for your lunch? Or where do you go out to eat for lunch? Let's talk about where you could go for a healthier option, an option with more plants. And then let's talk about dinner. What are you preparing at home? Sometimes people might be more comfortable saying, let's do a plant-based meal two or three nights a week. Let's start with that. Or some people would rather take some of their family favorites and integrate more plants into that meal. So that might be as simple as cutting their portion of chicken in half and putting more veggies on the plate. So the veggies cover half the plate, then they have some whole grains and then a very small portion of chicken. Or if they make something like shepherd's pie, let's try taking the ground meat in that shepherd's pie, cut it down by half and replace with ground mushrooms or ground lentils. And just, you know, working with these different options and talking people through them, and they're going to know what feels most comfortable for them. They're going to know, um, you know, what feels like the low hanging fruit for them. And it, that's okay, whatever feels easiest for them. And once they do that for a couple of weeks, then they might be ready to start a new challenge and a new challenge. And I actually find for most clients that at first it feels daunting. And then usually they start moving quite quickly through those stages and move towards a level that is comfortable for them. And for many people that is completely plant-based. And for some people, it might be 80% plant-based and that may be kind of where they get to. And that's the that is their level and that's where they stay. That's great. I love some of the ideas that you have because really it's about how can we integrate more fruits, vegetables, whole grains, beans, nuts, and seeds into our diet. The toast thing, because I always forget about avocado toast, but it's so good. So instead of having a butter toast, put mm -hmm. some avocado on there. That's delicious. And it's going to be also filling and satisfying. And I just love the idea of replacing half of the meat in your meal whenever you're making a dinner with a plant-based option. I think one thing that's really surprising to a lot of people too is how it 
increases the deliciousness of the dish to have those different textures and components in there, like working with mushrooms, working with beans. It really just gives the whole different dimension. And I think for a lot of people, it's just, it's kind of paradigm busting, right? Because we're used yeah. to in the standard American diet. Okay. The first thing you think about is what meat are we going to have? Okay. We're going to, are we going to do pork? Mm -hmm. Are we going to do chicken? Are we going to do mm -hmm. beef? You know? mm -hmm. And then adding things to it instead, think of like this huge world of plant-based options and how can you integrate that into what you already eat? So that's really great. What about with people that are intimidated in the kitchen? Do you have any mm -hmm. tips for people that are just like, I don't know how to cook. I never learned how to cook. How do I even begin to approach eating more whole plant foods? Well, I do have a number of recipes that I share with any of my clients, but particularly with people who are feeling a bit intimidated in the kitchen. I'll say that almost all my recipes are very, very simple. They tend to be ready in 20 to 30 minutes, very few ingredients. They're often one pot. So um, they're really not intimidating recipes. Another thing about my recipes is that they're easily scalable to um, working with families. I have children myself. I cook for my family every night. And so I only share recipes that I use in my home with my family that I know you, I'm a busy mom and that I know I can get those things on the table and also that my kids will eat them, um, you know, that they're kid tested as well. And also I'm sensitive to budget. I'm aware that um, a lot of people are nervous that uh, going on a plant-based diet is going to be more expensive, but actually in my experience, it is significantly cheaper. Um, you know, adding lentils, root vegetables uh, to your meals be brings beautiful flavor, as you said, also beautiful color. Your meals will be so much more beautiful to look at. Um, and people should not feel intimidated by that because there are simple techniques. And once you start to learn some simple techniques about creating um, plant-based sauces that are delicious, um, and just how to roast vegetables, for example, um, you know, then you'll be able to see that cooking plant-based is very simple and very beautiful. It's a beautiful way to eat. Sometimes we need to help people make a shift away from the idea of like, I'm going to have meat and two veg kind of thing, you know, like what am I having for dinner? I'm having pork. Instead, let's get that family or that individual to try making like a curry, for example, because when you follow a recipe like making like a lentil curry or a chickpea curry, maybe the first time you've made that recipe or you're more familiar with having that recipe as a chicken curry, but you could easily make that a chicken and chickpea curry and then slowly reduce that chicken until it's just a chickpea curry. And sometimes it's easier for people to imagine how to transition to being plant-based if they think about meals like chili, uh, curry, um, soups and stews, uh, those kinds of meals, rather than just thinking about, you know, roasting some meat, having two veg and then some rice, which is, let's be honest, a bit of a kind of boring and old-fashioned way to eat. Let's be more vibrant and more exciting with our meals. Think about what looks beautiful to you when you look, when you scroll Instagram, I bet you're double tapping the like on foods that look vibrant and colorful. 
those are vegetables. That is what's making you excited about food. And so start bringing that into your plate. And I bet you're going to find it is easier, cheaper, and more delicious than you ever could have imagined. Oh, that's so great. I love your point about seeing vegetables because that is actually a human adaptation. One of the reasons we can see color and why we get excited about color is because it's signaling to us that there are special health properties in those fruits and vegetables. That's why it looks beautiful to us because it's good for us. So trying to remember that, how can you make your meals look more colorful and not by artificial color? So Skittles, aren't going to count here, but definitely from whole plant <laughs> foods. Um, another thing that I like to talk about is using convenience foods. Cause even in the smaller town, there's frozen vegetables, there's frozen fruits, there's shelf stable and frozen whole grains, um, canned beans, even frozen beans now that you can find in the freezer section. And so don't feel like you know, that's selling out to use those things. I use them all the time in my busy lifestyle. I love to have frozen vegetables and canned beans always for an emergency. Because if you had one of those weeks, you just didn't have to time to plan the menu. You didn't have time to do the batch cooking. You're always going to have a fast, easy meal. And then the second thing I like to say is use appliances to your advantage. So I know that we're kind of on an instant pot trend here in this country. I don't know in Canada if they use the instant pot over there. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's like my best friend in the kitchen is using that instant pot, using my Vitamix and it makes things so much easier for me. So I don't feel like I'm wasting hours and hours in the kitchen, but it's never wasted anyway. Even if you do spend more time in the kitchen, it's, it pays off because studies show that people who spend more time cooking, planning and preparing meals actually end up being people that have better health markers. So it, it really does pay off, even though sometimes it may feel like it takes a little bit of time, especially at the beginning when you're not used to it. As you get more familiar with it, you'll get faster and faster. Anything else you wanted to add to that, Pamela? No, I totally agree with all of that. And in fact, I use frozen vegetables, not just in a pinch, but I use them all the time. I mean, I love to get frozen spinach and frozen kale because it's already chopped, it's already shredded, it's already washed for me, and it's so easy. And people often think that frozen veggies or frozen fruit are nutritionally inferior to fresh, when actually that's not true. There is very little difference between um, fresh or frozen veggies in terms of their nutritional content. And uh, it's I just love the ease of using frozen veggies. And Often, you know, in the winter, if you live in the northern half of the U.S. or in Canada, it's harder to find uh, really nice quality, um, fresh fruit and veggies um, in the supermarket. And if you do find them, often they're imported or they're um, very, very expensive. So this is a great way to just be able to toss in some greens to all of your meals. This morning, I made... Uh, lentil curry for my kids to send them as a hot lunch in their meals. I just tuck it into a thermos. I put the rice in the Instant Pot this morning and did a lentil curry on the stovetop. I use red lentils because they cook quickly. So that's done while the rice is cooking. The lentils are cooking and I threw in some frozen spinach so that there's some greens in there as well. Delicious meal. Sent that off with my kids today. And I bet it's about a dollar fifty a portion. If that, it's probably even less than that. Delicious, nutritious, and um, 
you know, so easily portable for them to take to school. Your kids are so lucky. I'm just thinking <laughs> I, I want to go grab my lunch from your house too. <laughs> <laughs> there is actually one extra portion. So come on up. <laughs> yeah. Save me a few hours to get there. It's not that far. Yeah. I can make it by the end of the you day. You could. You could. Um, but no, that's great. And then you were able to do that in the morning. Before in the morning. They got to school. So that's another yes. point. This doesn't, it doesn't have to take so long. No. Once you're used to it, it can be really fast. I often do. Sometimes if I don't get my batch cooking done on the weekend, I'll get up early on Monday and get it done. And it's not as bad as you think, especially when you're using your appliances. Okay. So now I want to move on to, so what you said is whenever you're working with clients, they're starting from the, the bottom. They're just like, all right, I just need to put more whole plant foods. Let's start with breakfast. How can you add more to breakfast? Then we'll do lunch and dinner and then just go step by step by step. Okay. How about somebody that's looking to optimize their diet? What would you mm -hmm. tell somebody that they feel like they're doing pretty good, but they want to hear from you in what ways can I optimize how and what I'm eating? So often I find that people really aren't getting enough greens and berries. That's where we're really getting a real maximum amount of nutrients per calorie. Uh, so greens and berries, just get them into your smoothies, into your soups, on your bowls, uh, multiple times a day. Also, um, nuts and seeds, particularly seeds, are a real win. And sometimes people are eating those, but they're maybe just eating the same ones all the time. So I really encourage people to go to the bulk store and bring their jars and get, you know, of many different kinds of seeds. So pumpkin seeds, sunflower seeds, uh, they can get ground flax or gr grind the flax themselves, chia seeds, get lots of different kinds of seeds, different kinds of nuts, because they all have slightly different nutritional profiles. And keep those in your refrigerator if you have the space for it, or if not in your pantry and just try to use them fairly quickly so they don't oxidize and um, throw a couple of tablespoons on all the time. Like if you're having a bowl, if you're having oatmeal, if you're having a salad, add a couple tablespoons of nuts or seeds to the top so that throughout the day or when you're snacking, um, have a piece of fruit and a handful of nuts so that throughout the day, you're getting some nuts and seeds in addition to the rest of your food. Awesome. So let's get more greens, let's get more berries, and a variety of different kinds of nuts and seeds. I tend to be like, I'm a very routine person. <laughs> so I tend to do the same thing and I get into my little seasons where I'm doing the same thing. So one of the things I like to eat for breakfast is I love my overnight oats mm -hmm. and that's just like a perfect carrier for both berries and nuts and seeds. So I like blueberries in particular with some raw walnuts, but that's so easy to change out. You can do strawberries, you can do yes. raspberries, you can do cherries, and then the nuts and seeds is easy. So finding one of those kind of what I call a carrier type of meal, yes, you need to change out the different components so that you're getting a variety. Same thing for me for lunch is I like to do bowls. I'm a 
kind of bootable sort of person. Mm-hmm. So one day I might do like a cabbage slaw and another day I might do one of those kale mixes from Costco that has the kale and it has the Brussels sprouts and some spinach and stuff like that. So change out the greens. That way you get the different nutritional profiles, but you're still getting a lot of greens in there. So that's one way to kind of think about it. So where am I going to get these greens and nuts and seeds and berries and just find types of food that it's easy to chain those, those out. Do you have any other recommendations for how people can add more? Smoothies and soups are always a great option. Um, we're into soup season now. I make a couple of soups a week. I love soups and you can always blend um, something into the soup as well. Like if you're perhaps trying to get a few more veggies into the soup and you're don't want your children to notice. I'm all for introducing veggies and having your kids be aware of them. Give your kids some choice, let them taste different things. But sometimes we just need to sneak veggies in. And soups are a great great way to do that. So you can blend some veggies into the base of the soup. Um, and also, uh, you know, adding in even nuts or seeds blended in tahini is a nice um, uh, paste to be able to whisk into a soup. It thickens it um, and uses, we do often use um, coconut milk in soups and curries and stews and things. Um, and I love coconut milk. It is certainly very rich and decadent. It does have quite a bit of saturated fat. A plant-based diet in general is fairly low in saturated fat. So I don't think we need to panic about that and we can enjoy some coconut milk sometimes. But tahini is a nice alternative that is very rich in nutrients like calcium, Um, And you can whisk that into your soup as um, something to make your soup a bit thicker and creamier. Um, If you have a blender, you can even blend it uh, rather than whisking just to make it that much smoother. Soups are so great too, because they're so filling. They're really satisfying. And for somebody that's trying to decrease their calorie intake for whatever reason, it's a great thing to eat, especially to start with, because yes. it makes it so that you don't eat as much later on in the meal. So soups are so, so yummy. And smoothies too. Smoothies are very similar. You can just throw a bunch of stuff in there, blend it up and see exactly. So another thing that I like to tell families to do is blend beans into mm-hmm. sauces and soups and, and even yes. smoothies. You can do it. It's going to yes. make sure that you rinse them well first. But that's mm-hmm. another way that I have families work on increasing and maximizing fiber intake for some kids, especially the ones that deal with constipation and have a big fiber deficiency is getting those beans in there so that, you know, the kid may not have to worry so much about the texture, eating the individual beans, but getting into the soups and sauces, all wonderful tips. Okay. So I'm going to shift gears just a little bit and talk about how you talk to clients when you are counseling them on navigating the conflicting nutritional messages that we receive from news and media and social media, especially recently, we had the whole big thing on the, you know, processed meats and and such. How, how, how can clients learn um, what to pay attention to and what they can ignore? Mm -hmm. So actually I think the main message we want to send to our clients is that nutrition is actually a very slow moving science. And when we see these flashes in the pan of avoid this food, eat this food, that kind of thing, 
really, those things are often just quite sensational. Um, and we shouldn't pay too much attention to that at all. What we have a preponderance of very high quality evidence for is that eating a high fiber diet, rich in fruit, vegetables, whole grains, that is what we have a lot of evidence for. Um, oh, and pulses as well, uh, you know, beans and lentils. That is what we have a lot of evidence for um, in terms of longevity and avoiding our biggest killers, uh, or let, we shouldn't say avoiding completely, but certainly reducing your chances of diabetes, um, heart disease, and cancer. We can't offer guarantees against these diseases, and I do think that's important to emphasize, but you know, when you look at the risk that you're born with, there's all kinds of things that you can do to keep, you have this certain window of risk and to keep yourself at the lower end of your risk window, that sort of dice that was rolled for you uh, genetically, you can keep yourself at the low end of that risk through um, observing healthy lifestyle habits. And nutrition is the one with the biggest impact. And what can you do? You can increase your fiber and increase um, your fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and, um, and legumes, beans and lentils and nuts and seeds. We have lots of evidence for that. That's wonderful. And there's a consensus. And I think what mm -hmm. happens is whenever we see some of these individual news stories, it seems like there's a big disagreement, but there's really not. The top nutrition scientists, the top public health advocates, they all agree on the same thing. Absolutely. Or whole plant foods benefits our health and That's eating right. less processed and animal foods also benefits our health. So I think that, yeah, may, we may have disagreements about little things here and there, but really the majority we have a consensus on Yes, whole plant foods. <laughs> so they have absolutely about how do you get those? And also, I think what's important too is knowing that each person is an expert of themselves. And I think that this yes. is something that you promote, and what I see in your social media too is that everybody's going to have individual differences. Some people are going to feel better with a certain way of eating, and some people are going to feel better with a different way of eating. But in general, a pattern that includes a lot of whole plant foods seems to be very beneficial to our health. Absolutely. The other thing I want to add too about risk and something that I talk to my families about is that life is risk. I mean, we're born into risk. Life is essentially risk, <laughs> which I know it sounds very pessimistic, but it's true. I mean, everybody has risk it is. about maximizing, uh, maximizing benefits and minimizing risk. So what can mm -hmm. we do in our life to make choices that maximize benefits and minimize risk about a lot of things. I talk about food, uh, other lifestyle habits, um, vaccines, all of those kinds of things. This is how I think about it. Maximize benefits, minimize risks. All right, so I wanna change gears again, and if we have a little bit more time to talk about kids in particular, so I know you have a lot of experience, for yourself, for your own family. Um, but you also talk about kids on your Instagram I do. and on your blog. So what tips do you have in particular for families that are preparing food for children? So I think it's really important to understand that children are immediately experts uh, in what they like and what they don't like. Um, 
we can shape that as their parents. And it's our job to continue to expose them to new flavors, new textures, new colors in terms of food. But children, one of the first ways that we exercise our autonomy and control in life is by saying what we do or don't like to eat. Probably one of the first things we ever say no to is like pushing away from a spoon when we're still, you know, sitting on our parent's knee or in a high chair or something. We're doing this. And that's expressing autonomy. And it's so a lot of these battles are about control. And we don't want to squash our children's spirit here. And it's not about forcing them to eat. It's about um, starting to recognize that autonomy and allowing them to have some amount of choice and control in the situation. So they feel partner with you in the eating experience rather than feeling like it's a battleground and it's your it's you against them. So I really believe in exposing your children from a very young age to some choice in the kitchen and teaching them about where their food comes from. If you have an opportunity to take your kids like berry picking in the summer or apple or pumpkin picking in the fall, um, so they see a farm and they understand uh, where their food comes from. Or take them to the supermarket and say, you know, tonight um, we're going to have potatoes. Should we buy um, white potatoes or sweet potatoes, these orange ones, you know, and then take them home and slice the potato open and show them what it looks inside. Um, let them to smell it and feel the texture of it. Um, so that and start teaching them a vocabulary around food so that they have ways to describe, you know, what it is that they don't like. So I try in my family to really encourage um, children to be able to express themselves around food and to not just say, oh, this is disgusting. I don't want to eat that, you know, but instead say, what is it that's new for you? Or what is it that's, oh, that's hard for you about this food? Is it too salty for you? Is it too spicy for you? Is it too sweet? Is it not sweet enough? You know, um, is it the texture or the flavor or the color that you don't like? And then once they start describing what it is they don't like, rather than just, this is disgusting, I'm not eating it, that's something that you can work with. So you can say, okay, so next time I make this, you come in the kitchen with me and we're going to get it right so that we get the right amount of salt or the right amount of spice. You can be my assistant in the kitchen next time. Or sometimes it's something you can fix right then for their portion by adding a little bit of extra seasoning or cooling the spice down with a little coconut milk, that kind of thing. Um, but encouraging children that they actually have some control and the food that comes to them um, is something that they are a part of. Even something as simple as making smoothies with your two or three-year-old and they choose, do they want the very berry smoothie or the chunky monkey smoothie, you know, and give it a fun name and they get to drop the ingredients in and push the lid down and push the button. All those things are fun and they give the kids power. And then when children are involved in preparing a meal and it doesn't matter if they're two or 12 or 22, when they're involved in preparing it, they're much more likely, in my experience, to eat it and to feel proud of it and to enjoy the experience. And you'll enjoy it a lot more too. My one bit of advice though is only bring one kid at a time into the kitchen. 
um, especially as they're new and just learning about knife safety and that kind of thing. You want to make sure that you can have a close eye on them and you don't want to have sibling rivalry get in the way of your goals in terms of the kitchen. So one kid maybe is off doing another activity even if that screens for a little while so that you can work with another child um, and focus your time and attention on them for a few minutes in the kitchen. And depending on the age of the child, you can give them more and more sophisticated um, jobs to do in the kitchen to support you right through to preparing an entire meal for you. Wow. I love it. Those are such great tips. And yeah, you definitely have more experience because you have four children. And whenever you I do. Start, said something about sibling rivalry, right after you said something about knives, I'm like, yeah, that would not be a good combination. Knives plus sibling <laughs> rivalry. So you definitely have to watch out. I know my kids are very different. They're about five years apart. And so I can have my older mm -hmm. son in there doing a task while I'm working with my younger son. But that's a case where, you know, the older one doesn't need as much supervision. But that's a really important thing to think about because I can just see a mom really overwhelming herself and completely giving up when she tries to have lots of little kids in there and it's just mass chaos. And it's just like, no, I'm not right. doing this anymore. So that's a really yes. great tip. Yes. I also love, you know, this talking about autonomy and control because that is so important. That's where a lot of this stress and misery around the table comes from is this, these battles that we have over food. And whenever you start to learn your children and their differences and their preferences, it's not about just making a special meal for them. And I don't think that's what you're saying. It's about learning to adapt the meals that you do make so that it's more pleasing for each individual palate. Because us, us as adults, we do it too. I mean, some people add more salt to their food, mm -hmm. like less spice. So we have that amount of control too. So why not also give that to our children? Absolutely. I agree. And I think the other thing too, as when, especially when they're small is really allowing them to play with their food, mm -hmm. touch and manipulate, smell, lick, you know, put it in their mouth. They might even spit it out. <laughs> Don't make a big deal about that. You know, let them explore the food because that's the way that they become familiar with the food. And it's okay for things to get a little messy too, especially when you have toddlers they're going to throw a lot of things off. Just get a dog. That really helps the cleanup. <laughs> <laughs> I had a like waterproof blanket sort of mat thing that I put down um, uh, underneath where my daughter sat at the table. She had one of those clip on chairs at the table and we just like just hosed everything down afterwards, you know, because she did baby led weaning and it got all over her face and whatever. And that's all just part of the experience because especially when they're first being introduced to food, it's really almost a, more about learning about being exposed to texture and taste than it is about nutrition. Um, while they are still, um, you know, breastfeeding or possibly formula feeding, they're getting a lot of their nutrition that way. And they're really just learning how to eat, learning how to swallow, learning how to handle texture and flavor. Um, and that's a big part of the eating experience. So if they don't get all of it down at the beginning, that's okay. Beautiful. Pamela, what do you wish more people knew? 
I wish more people knew how easy and simple it can be and inexpensive it can be to feed a family on a plant-based diet. Uh, I used to brag when we lived in Toronto a few years ago that I fed a family of six on $100 a week. That has gone up. Um, my kids are, three of my kids are teenagers now and they have huge appetites. In fact, my oldest son is 6'4". So he, he can, he can eat, they can all eat, of course. Um, and so, um, my food budget has increased, but still, uh, it is still very low. And, um, that is really because I use so many, um, pulses and root vegetables, vegetables in season, frozen vegetables. I use my instant pot. Um, and all of these things help me keep my costs down and they give amazing flavor and nutrition to my kids as well. And to me. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's, that's super admirable about keeping it to a hundred at what, even if you did it at one point for a family of six, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. I try to keep it to 150 or less and we uh -huh. eat all of our meals from our kitchen, except for right. maybe a couple a week. So mm -hmm. I think that's pretty good, but I can't even imagine because I have two boys my oldest one is now in high school. He does weight training in the morning and cross country in the afternoon. And I can't cook fast enough sometimes. <laughs> I know. I have to make fresh rice and fresh beans almost every day. I know. I know. I used to talk a lot about meal prepping ahead on a Sunday. And now I just find no matter how much I meal prep, it's gone. So now it's just, I need to cook as we go for the most part. Um, if you've got a deep freeze, you might be able to meal prep enough for my kids, but otherwise, um, you know, you probably can't manage, but that's okay with honestly, with, um, some easy recipes that are done in 20 to 30 minutes and, uh, using your tools, like your slow cooker, your instant pot, that kind of thing you can easily do it. And that's what I wish more people knew is just how easy and inexpensive it can be and delicious. Now, I was going to add that one if you didn't say it and delicious yeah. because that's yeah. super, super important. Okay. That's yeah. great. So I would also like to know what personal habit you are most proud of. How did you develop it and how do you sustain it? I'm most proud of doing my sun salutations every morning. For many, many, many years, I never missed a morning. It was a New Year's resolution that I made when I was like 21 or something like wow. that. I don't know. And I kept doing it every single morning, at least doing, you know, four or five sun salutations every morning. Um, and I did that. And then I think uh, during my pregnancy um, at about, you know, seven months, it started to become uncomfortable. And so I stopped doing it. And then after that, I, I still do it. Um, but I do miss a day here and there. And I really, when I do it, I just feel so much better. I just recognize that it sets me up for the whole day. It makes my body feel better. I stay better in alignment, you know, less like little, oh, achy little spot in my back or something. I just feel so much better. And I also feel it's mind clearing and centering to start the day that way rather than scrolling through Facebook or something. So um, I'm very proud of that habit. And I'm confessing to you here that I don't do it every day anymore, but I do it most days and I always feel so much better when I do it. Great. No, and it sounds like you have a good intuition about it and you yeah. are able to give yourself that feedback. You like you anchor that feeling that you get when you do it. So it doesn't have to become like this chore, this task that you have to do. No. It's more like, I want to do it. Want I want to. I want to do yeah. it. And it makes your day so much better. That's great.
All right. Well, before I get to the last question, I do want to circle back a little bit because we have some more time and ask you about sunflower seeds. So mm. you a sunflower seed cookbook available. Tell me why you did that. Well, I have a few reasons for um, being excited about sunflower seeds in the kitchen. But the thing that really sparked my interest was I came across an article um, talking about blood cashews. And I mean, that sounds terrible, but actually, unfortunately, the way that cashews are harvested and processed, um, mostly in Vietnam and in India, um, women, it's usually women, men sometimes too, um, have to peel open a shell that the cashew is in. The cashew that we see um, has actually been shelled already before we receive it. And the inside of the shell has a toxic substance similar to poison ivy. And with repeated exposure, um, the worker's hands often um, become burnt and uh, damaged from this. And even the lining of their respiratory passages as well can be affected by this toxic substance. So I was alarmed by this. I don't want my tasty vegan desserts and sauces to come at the expense of some workers' hands being burned. So I started looking for alternatives and I came across the idea of using sunflower seeds. Um, and immediately I could see so many benefits. First of all, sunflower seeds are very nutritious. Cashews are as well, but Sunflower seeds edge them out a little bit in terms of their protein um, and micronutrient intake. Uh, then also, um, sunflower seeds are much less expensive, usually about a quarter the price of raw cashews. Um, they also are grown or can be grown right here in North America and don't need to be imported, whereas we're importing um, all of our cashews. And so that has a higher carbon footprint. And sunflower seeds are um, able to be grown using just rainwater and don't need irrigation, where often um, cashews are irrigated. So they have a higher, cashews have a higher water footprint as well. So we're winning here in terms of human rights, in terms of um, nutrition, a slight edge, in terms of the environment, um, carbon and water footprint, and we're winning in terms of cost. Uh, so for me, those were just, you know, five wins <laughs> for sunflower seeds. And when I tried them in the kitchen, in terms of savory applications like sauces, dips, uh, you know, sunflower seed sour cream, sunflower seed Alfredo sauce. Um, they are just as delicious as cashew and work beautifully. In fact, it's really indistinguishable for me. Um, and in terms of desserts, they are good. I would say for desserts, maybe give them two soaks and a good rinse because they aren't as sweet as cashews. They don't have as high a carbohydrate content. Um, and so you really want to just uh, soak them as much as possible and rinse them very well so that they are as soft uh, and ready for processing um, and release sort of their savory quality as much as possible. The final uh, reason that they're really good is that I do run across quite a few clients who have a tree nut allergy and very few people are allergic to sunflower seeds and therefore sunflower seeds are usually 
uh, school friendly as well, whereas often tree nuts are not. Wow, that's really intense. Like there's just yes. a lot of different reasons. There's a lot <laughs> of reasons, yeah. And I did try, I did my, cause I like to make a cheesy cashew sauce mm -hmm. like every week, it's my favorite. I tried it with sunflower seeds and it was really yummy. And I still have to kind of work with it just a little bit cause it, it changed on me halfway through the week. So I usually do it for a whole week. So I have to maybe make some alterations, but I think I'm going to get your cookbook too. Cause you probably okay. get all that stuff out for me. And then I don't have to take any time figuring that out. So yes. that's great. All right, Dr. Pamela. So finally, what services do you offer and how can listeners connect with you? Yeah, so I work one-on-one -on -one with clients and they can connect with me directly through the website and book an appointment with me. They'll be able to see all of my availability there. And we start with a nutrition assessment in the first appointment and we'll talk through all of um, your you know, life, not only what you eat, but also um, your athletic and activity patterns, your sleep patterns, your social life. And we will look at all of those things and really design something that works for you. We'll look for those, you know, kind of what are the two or three quick and easy wins that you're going to be able to pull to be able to help you shift your nutrition so that you're going to be healthier, feeling better, and moving towards whatever nutrition goals you have, whether that's um, you know, better body acceptance or um, having more energy or looking at you know, improving your blood cholesterol or improving your blood sugar control or maybe um, looking at your weight. All of these different things are things that we can look at together. Awesome. Great. And I'll make sure that I link your website so that people Great. can find it. Do you work with people from the United States or is it only? I do. No, okay. I do. Well, yes. great. How convenient is that? Awesome. And then what are your social media platforms that you like to hang out at? So I'm on Facebook and on Instagram and you can find me on Facebook at Dr. Pamela RD and on Instagram at drpamela.rd. Okay, great. And I'll make sure I link those. Wonderful. Well, this was so great, Dr. Pamela. Thank you so much for hanging out Thank with you. me today. And I think that that was just super high yield, really great, useful tips that people can take wherever they are in their journey to start integrating more whole plant foods or optimizing their diets, what else they can be mindful to add in there. So I just really, really appreciate you spending time with me today. I really loved being here with you today. And I learned a lot too, just from talking to you. So anytime I'd be happy to come back. Yay. Well, I hope you have a very plantastic day. <laughs> you too. Take care. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you for tuning in. And I look forward to having you back again next week. A very special thank you to the band Rocket Surgeons for permission to use the broccoli song. To find out more about the Rocket Surgeons, please visit their website at rocketsurgeonsband.com or Facebook at Rocket Surgeons Music. Please subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Also, all of my social media links can be found in the podcast description. Send me a message and let me know what you think of today's podcast. Sharing is caring. Please share, rate, and review my podcast and drop me a line if you have ideas for future episodes. Thank you once again and have a plantastic day.